This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. It is Wednesday, April 19th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today. Well, my apologies for some frustrating technical difficulties last week, which prevented me from posting last week's episode of Franchise Today. The only good news in that, I guess, is that my friend Frank Milner at Tudor Doctor got himself an extra week of primetime exposure as listeners came checking for last week's interview and found that Frank was still there. Well, all of that's been sorted out, and this week I'm back with a most intriguing conversation with a gentleman that has absolutely no nexus to franchising, but my goal this week is to put an end to that. His name is David Friedman, and while we're not genetically related, we do have a great deal more in common than just the same last name. David is the founder and CEO of a business called CultureWise, and has done with culture what Michael E. Gerber has forever prescribed we all do with all of the physical systems and processes of our franchised businesses. Yes, David Friedman has created a system for turnkeying culture and eliciting and optimizing the behaviors of your people, your teams, and your franchisees to consistently drive the disciplines that are the backbone of your organization. I have forever been a strong believer that the culture of a franchise company has as much to do with its success as does its secret sauce, products, or services. And while winning strategies and tactics are uber important too, in my mind, culture eats strategy for lunch. Well, this is a conversation you don't want to miss, as we'll unpack it all right after a quick time out. I'm Stan Friedman, this is Franchise Today, and I'm back in two minutes or less with my guest, 2021's Vistage Speaker of the Year and CultureWise founder and CEO, David J. Friedman. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. Franchisors of restaurants, bars, and grills, and multi-unit franchisees, listen up. This message is for you. If you're looking to engage guests, elevate profits, and enhance your customer experience, Atmosphere TV is the answer. What's Atmosphere, you ask? Atmosphere is the world's number one streaming TV service for businesses, here to help you make more and save big on overpriced cable packages. Atmosphere provides you with a free programming option, bringing more than 60 ultra-engaging audio-optional channels designed to please customers and increase their average ticket. So, how does it work? Well, it's easy. Upon sign-on, Atmosphere sends you a free device loaded with over 60 channels of eye-grabbing entertainment. From news and sports to viral videos and fuzzy animals, every channel is family-friendly and designed to keep your customers happy and engaged. Plus, Thanks to Atmosphere's 100% audio-optional format, the programming is perfect for any setting, no matter how loud or busy. Atmosphere isn't limited to restaurants or bars either. Any business with a TV screen can benefit from better entertainment. So stop playing and paying overpriced cable. Go with free TV instead. Chiropractors, doctors, dentists, auto shops, anyone with TV in their waiting rooms can jump on this amazing offer. Just go to atmosphere.tv forward slash sign up 
and use the code FRANCHISE, and Atmosphere will waive the usual one-time $99 activation fee for your free-to-stream device. Visit Atmosphere online at atmosphere.tv, and remember, use the code FRANCHISE to waive your one-time activation fee. Visit atmosphere.tv to elevate your franchise's entertainment experience today. In an increasingly polarized world, one thing nearly all leaders agree upon is the foundational role that culture plays in organizational success. But while we may all agree about its significance, understanding the real mechanics of culture, and more importantly, how to create and drive it, has always been shrouded in mystery. Until now. My guest today is David J. Friedman, founder and CEO of CultureWise, and he's literally written the book, Culture by Design, Empowering Leaders to Operationalize Their Corporate Cultures. David J. Friedman, welcome to Franchise Today. Oh, thanks. Great to be with you, Stan. It's a pleasure having you, David. Each week, though, I usually start out talking to a stalwart in franchising and beginning by learning how franchising found them and bumped into them. And they usually have a long storied career with lots of milestones about how they've gotten to the place they are today. Your case today is going to be a little different because you're a newbie to franchising, aren't you? I am. But I'm excited to have you share with the audience how you and I got connected in the relevance that I believe your business can play in the businesses of those in the world of franchising. So why don't you give a little snapshot to the audience about how we got together? Yeah, so I got introduced to Michael Gerber, the author of The E-Myth, that probably many uh, people in your audience have read before. And Michael and I got connected through a mutual friend. And as Michael got introduced to what I do and the way that I've created a systematic methodology to create and build and embed a culture in organizations, Michael was really taken by that. And I guess you and Michael had had, have had a, a relationship between the two of you. And, and Michael knew that you've always talked about culture and been a fan about culture, but perhaps had some question about whether culture could really be done in a turnkey kind of way. And so when Michael and I were talking, he said, hey, Stan, you got to meet this David Friedman guy. And that's how you and I got a chance to meet. Two Friedmans with a Gerber between us. There's probably something in that, but I really have been a culture fan for years. I have for years proffered that other than money, the most important ingredient you have in your business to help it grow is a culture that's as rich and strong as perhaps the secret sauce is of whatever it is that you're franchising. But I never thought of culture as something that you build turnkey. I've thought it more more of something that comes from within and you build it into the fabric of your business. But turnkeying, it seemed completely foreign to me. So I'm going to ask you to roll that out and unpack it for us today and help us understand how, in fact, it is turnkey and how you've gone about making that the business that you're building today. Sure. Yeah, it is surprising to people. And yet when I explain it, as, as your audience will see, it's really quite simple and just makes a lot of sense. So quick little background. I spent about 27 years as the CEO of, it was an employee benefits consulting company in the Philadelphia area. And I grew that from two people to well over a hundred people. And during the years that I was growing that company as a very successful company, but all of our success, and I mean all of it, was based upon the culture that we built in that company. And as the CEO of the company, I did a series of things in a very intentional and systematic way to create that culture. I eventually sold my company to a large multi-billion dollar publicly held company, retired from that industry, and I wasn't quite sure what I was gonna do next, but I ended up writing a book 
It was my first of several books. It was a book called Fundamentally Different. And it was a book about the things that we had done specifically around our culture that enabled us to be so successful. As people read that book, some of them asked me to speak about what I had written. And I started traveling around the country doing talks about this material. And as some people heard me speak, a number of them came to me and said, hey, that's really interesting stuff you wrote about and talked about. Could I hire you to help me do that in my company? And I thought, well, I guess so. And the next thing I knew, I was traveling around the country and giving talks about this material and helping lots and lots of organizations to implement this specific methodology that I'll describe momentarily. And so that methodology has been implemented in probably close to a thousand companies right now. So this, this is something that's been tried over and over and over again, and there is a best practice and a methodology to turnkey this. So the, the way that I think about culture is that if we understand just how important culture is, and you talked about it when you say that, you know, at each strategy for lunch, Lunch, it and it absolutely does. If we understand how important that is, then my point of view is as the leader, whether I'm the leader of a franchise or I'm the leader of a, I'm the coach of a sports team or I'm the teacher in a classroom or any other group of people, if I had a way that I could systematically create and embed that culture, that would have an enormous impact. And my point of view, of course, as well is if we understand the impact that the culture has, we ought to be as systematic about our culture as we are about our sales, our finances, our operations, and every other important part of our business. And yet what's so fascinating is how few companies are. Most companies just kind of, if I'm a nice guy or a nice woman and I treat my people well, I figure that's good enough, but I'm not systematic about it. So I teach people to be systematic. Now, how do we do that? Well, there's a framework that I developed that came out of my experiences in my first company that I call the eight-step framework. Eight different things that when we do these eight things, this is how we systematically create and drive and embed the culture that we want. And while all of those eight steps are important, at the end of the day, if you really just cut to the chase, there are two of those eight steps that, in my experience, drive a disproportionate amount of influence over success. In other words, if you do these two things well, you're going to be 80 or 90% of the way down the road to success. And if you don't do those two things well, you won't get very far. So for your audience's sake, let me just go right to those two things. The first of those two steps are how we go about defining exactly what we want that culture to be. Now, this sounds so obvious, and quite honestly, it is. And yet, my experience is that very few companies do this well. So most companies that you've worked with and seen have written some typically vision, mission, values for their organization. And candidly, so many times it's big and it's broad and it's fluffy and it looks nice on the website and isn't particularly effective from an operational standpoint. I make a really big deal about the difference between what I call values and what I call behaviors, because I think they're different from each other, and I think the difference is more than just semantics. So let me explain what that difference is. So a value to me is typically an abstract concept. So examples of values are things like quality, integrity, loyalty, respect, teamwork, innovation, commitment. These are ideas, concepts. A behavior, in contrast, is an action. It's something I can literally see people doing. So some of the behaviors I teach in my company are things like honor commitments. That's something you actually do. 
practice blameless problem solving. Get clear on expectations. Be a fanatic about response time. Follow up on everything. These are actions that people do. A value is an abstract idea. Behavior is an action. In parts of speech, I sometimes think of it almost like a, a value is a noun and a behavior is a verb. It's a thing versus an action. So the first thing we need to do, and the reason, by the way, that that's so important is that the values tend to be typically so broad and nebulous and abstract that they're hard to operationalize. It is very difficult to coach somebody about their values, but I could coach them all day long about what I see them doing or perhaps not doing. So I teach companies to define their culture, not in terms of the very big, broad, typical set of core values, but rather in terms of the behaviors that you as a leader say, if I could get our people to do these things consistently, boy, we'd be, we'd be an amazing organization. And I give those behaviors a name. I call them fundamentals because they're fundamental to success. So the first thing we've got to do is we've got to define what do we want this culture to be in terms of a set of fundamentals. Now, once we have that set of fundamentals, established. And I'm going to, once I explain this next step, I'll explain how do you, how do you turnkey this all? But first I want you to understand the basic concept. So once we've got these fundamentals in place, the second step is really the game changer in all of this. And I call it creating rituals. So a ritual is some routine that we do over and over and over again. You get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you, you go to a ball game, we do the national anthem. Some people before a, a meal, they'll say a prayer. So a ritual is just part of our routine. The reason that rituals rituals are so important is that most humans are not very good at sticking with things. We come up with the diet and exercise program that doesn't last, the initiative at work that we roll out with all the fanfare, and it eventually becomes the flavor of the month because we get busy. And we've all had that experience. Well, when something becomes a ritual, it's not hard to do. It's just what we do. It's just part of our routine. We don't struggle to remember to brush our teeth. It's just part of the routine. So the way we use that simple concept is we take these fundamentals we were just describing, we roll it out to the organization in highly interactive, engaged work sessions that all people participate in. And then once it's been rolled out, we begin to focus on one fundamental each week through a series of rituals. So week number one, everybody in the company is focused on fundamental number one. And I'll give you an example of a ritual in just a moment. So everybody in the company, every location, every department, all week long is thinking about working on focusing on fundamental number one. The week after that, everybody in the company is focused on number two. And the week after that, three and four and five and six and so on. When we get to the end of the list, we go back to the beginning and we do it over and over and over and over again. So let me give you an example of what might a ritual be. So in my company and pretty much everybody that I work with, one of the rituals we have is that every time we have a meeting in our company, whether it's a project team meeting, a department meeting, a leadership team, if we have a meeting in our company this week, even a Zoom meeting, the first agenda item of every meeting is the fundamental of the week. And we spend the first three to five minutes talking about it. What does it mean? How do we practice it? What can we do better about it? Three to five minutes, we don't want to take over the meeting, but every single meeting, every single place in my company this week, we're talking about this week's fundamental. Next week, every meeting starts with next week's fundamental and so on. So we create a number of rituals like that that give us lots of chances all week long to think about work on focus practice this week's fundamental. And if we do that this week with this week's fundamental and next week with next week's and we cycle through them over and over and over and over again, eventually these fundamentals become embedded. They become internalized in how we operate. And so there are six other steps to that framework that I reference, And they deal with things like how do you hire people who will be a good fit for the culture? How do you integrate them into the company? How do you coach them? How do you create accountability around it? There are other things, but the core of the concept is this very simple 
idea that if we can define in really crystal clear terms the behaviors that drive success in this organization, and then we can create a structured, systematic way to teach those behaviors over and over and over and over and over again, eventually those behaviors are going to become internalized. So that's the concept. Once we understand that, I'll, I'll shift in a moment to Okay, so how do we turnkey all of that? But that's the basic concept about how you systematically create a culture in an organization. Does that make sense, Dan? It makes a lot of sense. So review again, in summary, mm -hmm. you have to come up first with the fundamentals. Yes. And then you have to build the rituals to practice or to systematize to get yourself on autopilot almost in terms of how you execute on those fundamentals. Am I correct? You're correct. And, and I think the, the word autopilot is probably an appropriate word there. The goal is for things to become on autopilot because if it requires us to try to be really disciplined about it and remember things, we're not going to be disciplined and remember forever. We're going to get busy. Life gets in the way. It's got to become autopilot. And the creation of the rituals is the cornerstone or the platform upon which we build that automatic, it's just autopilot, this is what we do around here. Muscle memory, right? It's all it is, it's muscle memory. You know, sometimes I say, you know, when you think about how do we learn anything, it doesn't matter whether we're learning how to play a sport or an instrument or speak a language or anything else, it's muscle memory. It's lots and lots and lots and lots of repetition. That's the only way we learn things. So all we've really done is take that concept and apply it to the learned behaviors because ultimately it's about human behavior. But just to recap again before you move on, is there a set number, and you may have said it and I missed it, a mm -hmm. set number of fundamentals or a set number of rituals? It's a good question. And, I, and I di you didn't miss it. I didn't, I didn't mention it. So the number of fundamentals, let me start with that, will surprise you when I say so. And this always surprises people, but I'll explain it. So the right number of fundamentals is whatever you have. It doesn't really matter. And yet the number that most companies have will surprise you and your audience. So I have helped more than 650 organizations, white collar, blue collar, remote, hybrid, in-person, it doesn't matter. Every industry under the sun. The least number of fundamentals I've ever seen in one of those companies, believe it or not, is 18. And it's the only one I've ever seen less than 20. The most I've ever seen is 40. The sweet spot usually ends up, not by design, it just works out this way, somewhere between 25 and 30. The reason that that doesn't really matter, and I should say that virtually every company I've ever worked with begins the process saying, you don't understand, this simply won't work for us. That's too many. That's not going to work. We don't want to have any more than five. And none of them are saying that today, by the way. That's just where they start. The conventional wisdom for why we should only have three, four, five, six is because people will say that people can't remember more than that. And I always say, you're right, they can't. But what's our goal? Is our goal to have something our people can recite? Or is our goal to have our people live the behaviors that drive success in our company. Obviously, it's the latter. And there are more than five behaviors that drive success. In my company, I have 30. And I often say to people, if you looked at my 30 and you only wanted to have five, I'd ask them, so which 25 of these do you not want to have? And you know, you just there'd be too many things you'd give up. So sure. the number doesn't really matter. And one of the reasons the number doesn't matter as well is that whether you have three or 11 or 17 or 29, we're only focusing on one at a time and we're going to cycle through them over and over and over and over again. And we're not asking anybody to memorize something. We're not going up to you, Stan, and saying, Stan, can you recite number 12? No, we don't need anybody to recite anything. I just know that if we take one at a time and we focus on it intently and we cycle through them over and over and over and over and over and over again, they're going to become internalized in our people. So the number doesn't matter, but most companies end up with somewhere between 25 and 30. Now, when it comes to the number of rituals, whatever works in a company, typically there are two or three different rituals that companies will practice, but we want to create rituals that are easy to do. The more 
work it takes, the more effort it takes, the less likely it's going to work. So one of the keys to figuring out good rituals that I always suggest to people is to think about the rituals that already exist in your company. Most companies have a cadence to their operation. Every Tuesday is our sales meeting. Every Thursday is our production meeting. Every Wednesday we do this. There's a routine to their business. Look first and ask, what are we already doing in a ritualistic routine kind of way? And how could I fold this into what we're already doing? So the example that I gave you a moment ago of talking about the fundamental at the beginning of each meeting, we're not creating any new meetings. We're just taking a couple of minutes of the meeting you're already sitting in. That takes no extra time. You're already there. That's pretty easy. The more new things you have to create, the more impediments to success, the more we can leverage what's already been built into your company, the easier it is to do. So we always want to start by saying, what are we already doing in a routine way? And how could we fold a discussion of the fundamental of the week into what we're already doing? Sounds easy, but I'm sure if it was easy, everybody'd be doing it. David, let's take a quick break right here. And when we come back, let's turn the corner to the next part of the story. What do you say? Absolutely. Talking today with David J. Friedman. He is the founder and CEO. CEO of CultureWise, and we're going to learn a lot more about how you can turnkey your culture and build your business to a much higher watermark than you ever possibly dreamed of. This is Franchise Today. I'm Stan Friedman, and we'll be right back. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. We are all familiar with Vistage, YPO, and EO. Well, now comes Zorforum, a somewhat similar type of executive group, but this one comes with a twist. Zorforum groups are exclusively for franchisors. Imagine a peer group for sharing and networking on a platform built exclusively for franchise executives. Zorforum members are afforded unparalleled access to best practices and some of the brightest minds within the franchising world through regular meetings and a dedicated communications platform. In this post-COVID world, a franchise-specific mastermind or peer group is an endeavor worth making time for. Zorforum groups of 6 to 10 will bring leaders together that are in similar situations but with exclusivity in terms of their competitive set so that each can openly help others benefit from their respective knowledge, perspective, and experience with no fear of competitive loss. Network, learn, strategize, and remain motivated along your journey. Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zorforum. Learn more at Zorforum.com. That's www.Zorforum.com. And this fascinating conversation today continues with David J. Friedman, CEO and founder of CultureWise. And we're talking about how it is actually possible to turnkey the culture of your business and take it to new heights with performance that your own people are capable of delivering that you've possibly never dreamed of. Great. So what we talked about just before the break was how we create a set of fundamentals, those are the behaviors, and we practice them over and over and over and over and over again so that they become internalized. Now, how do you turnkey this? Well, here's the key. One of the things that I've done is is I've, I've done this process, as I mentioned earlier, with hundreds and hundreds of companies. And typically when I would work with most larger companies, I would start with the leadership team and I would facilitate the process of helping them brainstorm so what are the behaviors that are important in your company? And and I would, based on, on 
what I heard from them, I would draft for them a set of fundamentals or those behaviors. And each fundamental has a title and a two or three sentence description. Well, having done that with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of companies, it won't be surprising to your audience or to you to know that, you know what? The same stuff comes up over and over and again. They're not all that different. Yeah, there are small differences, but 80 or 85% of it's all similar. So what I did is I put together a, a platform. I call it the standard version of CultureWise, where I took all of the best fundamentals that I've ever written. There are 60 of them. I sometimes jokingly refer to them as my greatest hits. And I took the 60 fundamentals that I most frequently see across companies in every industry you can think of, and I built them into this platform that, again, I call the standard version of CultureWise. And then what I did is I said, all right, let me create a method where companies could sign up for this platform and they could go through the list of 60 fundamentals that are already written for them. And they could simply choose among those 60, the ones that most resonate for them. So, and I even divided those into 10 that I suggest every company should have because they're, they're that important. Another 10 that I recommend most people ought to have. And then among the other 40, pick whichever ones you want. Now people can choose any of them that they want, but organizing that way makes it easier for companies. So the company signs up, they choose among the 60 fundamentals, the ones that most resonate for them. It's already done. And then for every one of those fundamentals, I have written daily quick tips, teaching points, coaching tips, questions for discussion, e-learning material, video tutorials, all kinds of material around that. So when a company signs up and chooses their fundamentals, they get all of that material that I've created and the system teaches them how to create their rituals, how to roll it out to their people, and then how to start practicing them every week. And there's even a mobile app that drives people's engagement with that. So the system walks them through every single step, step by step, with videos, tutorials, written material, even over 300 FAQs that just gives them every single step for how to select the fundamentals they want, how to roll it out to their people, and get up and running practicing. Typically, and there's even a timeline in there that lays out the steps to accomplish this in 30 days. So a business like any of your franchise clients could literally sign up and within 30 days, be up and running, practicing their fundamentals every week. And it's that simple. So culture in a box is what I'm hearing. And you referenced that as the standard, which then yes. would suggest to me that there's probably a premium. Yes. So the two versions of how we do this, we call one version we call the custom version and one version we call the standard. The custom is actually what I always used to do. It was the only version that existed prior to me creating the standard. The custom one, and anybody can do either of these. In the custom version, the primary difference is that rather than choosing from a list of pre-written and designed fundamentals, we are actually facilitating a leadership discussion and drawing out of the leadership team of a company the behaviors that are most important them for them and then custom writing them. And we're going back and forth and, and provi they're providing feedback and we're tweaking and, and polishing and editing to get each one written exactly the way they want to say it so that it gets to be really feel like theirs. And then from there, we're rolling it out the exact same way and we're practicing it the exact same way. The real difference is, did we organically write and draft and polish and edit these fundamentals or did we pick from the list? Generally speaking, what I find, uh, both programs are equally effective, what I find is that larger companies, typically 100, 200 people or more, prefer to have a more customized feel to what they're doing. Smaller companies, typically less than 50 people, usually say, look, if you've already created them, I don't need to reinvent the wheel. I'll just use your 
stuff and we can do it faster and less expensively. And so both programs are available to any organization. We tend to see, again, smaller companies usually prefer the standard. It's just simple. It's easy. It's fast. It's inexpensive. Larger companies usually go with the custom approach. I'll tell you what I think is an incredible niche that in the world of franchising right now strikes me as this being critically important to a great many brands as we have seen the world of private equity grow and grow and grow demonstrably over the past many years. And now post-COVID, we're seeing not just private equity infusion into franchising, but we're seeing the rolling up of brands under umbrellas and brands becoming portfolio companies. And then they roll in like companies. So it could be the service industries. It could be the education industries. It could be the health industries. And they start buying up different modalities that could fit under that umbrella. And so it's a brand or a concept that used to be a single branded concept might now have four or five sister brands underneath the same umbrella. They then take the back of those houses and they bring the economies of scale to bear. But mm-hmm. what I see happening on the dark side of that equation is when founders go out and new owners come in or a family owned business now becomes a corporately owned business. What happens to the culture, I think too often is as scaling the back of the house changes things with those things, people go and with people gone, the culture changes or shifts. Yes. And they could be still out there talking about the power of their brand and their business without realizing that only a percentage of what was still is. Yes. I would see you as a tremendous asset in companies like those to do a tune up and to take a look back and make certain you've not left your culture behind innocently or otherwise. Well, I think you're right on, uh, Stan. And I think, you know, if you think about what a brand is, a brand is is a promise to the customer of a certain expectation that, you know, whether we're talking about McDonald's or we're talking about healthcare, we're talking about anything else, you're trying to deliver a consistent experience for that customer. Well, it's human beings who are delivering that experience. And if we don't have some consistent way that we're teaching those human beings how to deliver that experience, then we don't really have a brand. We just have a, a wish. You know, that there's a there's a way that I do that I start many of the talks that I do with a, a story. And I'm going to give you just the very brief version of this, but I think it's really relevant for your audience as franchisers. And I start many of my talks by talking about a couple of travel experiences that I've had. And I come from the Philadelphia area. And Philadelphia is an American Airlines hub. The Philadelphia airport is. And so I'm usually traveling all over the country and I'm almost always on American. And one of the only benefits of flying as much as I do is that I'm almost always upgraded to first class, which makes a big difference on longer flights. And I tell a story of how I was in Seattle and I was I was flying home from Seattle back to Philadelphia across the country. And I was on American and the flight attendant who was managing the first class cabin that I was upgraded to, her name was Allison. And this woman, Allison, was really, really good. And I describe in this story all the little things that she did that made it an exceptional experience. And then I tell another story of a flight, and these are true stories, but another flight where I was in Chicago and I was flying back from Chicago to Philadelphia. And I once again was upgraded. I was on American. And the flight attendant who was managing the first class cabin on that particular flight, this guy's name was Michael. And this guy, Michael, was perfectly ordinary, just average. There wasn't anything special. He wasn't bad. He was just very average. And I describe all the things that made him average. And then when I, after I tell those two stories, I ask the audience members and your audience as they're listening to this podcast can ask themselves this. If I were to interact with or even observe any of your frontline people, whatever your franchise happens to be, whether it's a receptionist or it's a salesperson or somebody working a car wash or a restaurant or whatever the business happens to be, how confident are you that anybody that I were to interact with or observe 
would be an Allison versus a Michael? And would the chances that I get an Allison versus a Michael in your business be just luck? I mean, some of us have some great people and sometimes you get one, or is that the way our company does business? And I say that the culture is the single biggest factor that influences whether most of the people on the front lines show up like Michael did, or whether most of the people on the front lines show up like Allison did. And that's why it's so critical as you pointed out, there's nothing more critical we can do than create the culture that causes the vast, vast majority of those employees to show up like Allison did and deliver the brand promise that we're really all about. Who's too small, if anybody, or who's so big and so far along in their own legacies at this point that perhaps it's too late? Are there any that are too big or too mighty or too small? You know, it's a good question. And I would say if they have humans in their company, this process works. So if they don't have any humans, it won't work for them. But if they're humans, that'll work. In terms of size, um, we've worked with companies as few as you know five or six people. I mean, if they only have two people, early on, they're going to want to, assuming they're going to be growing, they're going to want to build a culture so that as they add to it, it becomes something significant. But if right now they only have two people, it may not be as relevant to work on this. But we've worked with companies as few as five, six, seven people. We've worked with companies that have several thousand people. I think when a company has 10 or 15 or 20,000, it's just as important. It's just that they become so bureaucratic that it's difficult and they become unwieldy and difficult to work with. So really anywhere in between a handful of people and a thousand or two, and this process is very, very effective. And we've seen it over and over and over again. I would tell you that most of our clients say this is the single most impactful thing they've done in the history of their company. It foundationally changes them. It all makes sense. David, is there anything today that I haven't covered that you wished I might have asked? Oh, we could spend hours talking, Stan. <laughs> but I think, you, I think you've covered that. We've covered the basic concepts of it which is the most important thing for people to understand, that, that you ought to be, you can be, and ought to be as systematic about your culture as you are about your sales, finances, operations, and every other important part of your business. This is one of the single most important, maybe the most important part of your business, and we ought to be disciplined and structured in how we're approaching it. Well, then there's only one thing left for me to ask. How do people find you, David, to learn more and to get involved yeah. in booking your time for a demo or a conversation? Yeah, best thing is to go to our website, which is CultureWise, and that's the word culture and W-I-S-E, all like one word, culturewise.com. If you go there, you'll be able to see there are plenty of videos, simple explanations. We're very transparent about pricing. So pricing is right on the website. Everything you need to know is right there. We make it really simple. This has been a real pleasure, David, and I'm looking forward to learning more about it. I'm looking forward to helping you find people in the world of franchising that will benefit immensely by having these kinds of opportunities made known to them. And I'll enjoy watching their light bulbs starting to go off as they did with me. If I may, Stan, I'll just mention one other resource for them. And that is my last book culture by design also explains all of this so if you look up culture by design on amazon there's a first and second edition the second edition has everything that's in the first and then adds some new material but it's available in hardcover softcover ebook and audiobook as well well if emith made sense to anybody they're definitely going to need to latch on to this because it's the same recipe it's just a different meal yes david friedman it's been a real pleasure having you here today my friend thanks so much for sharing great to be with you stan 
Well, there it is. Yet another fantastic conversation heading to the archives. Next week, I'm joined by a seasoned franchise pro when Jose Merrill, co-founder and president of Estrella Insurance Franchise Corp., joins us right here on Franchise Today. Until then, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.